Hello, Texans, and welcome into NRG Stadium. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. It is Monday, a new week, a new day for the Houston Texans. Minicamp starting up this week, and away we go, Johnny, as we have many questions to answer from the fans, and I've got a list of them. We sort of went with an amalgam list of questions from fans that we've been getting throughout the weekend, throughout the day, as the Texans are in search of a new general manager following the dismissal of Brian Gain on Friday afternoon happened late. We went live on Friday to talk about it, and I know everyone's been talking about it, so we'll continue to talk about it today. But we'll also have on the show tonight two minutes with a Texan with a couple of guys that I know people want to hear from. Deontay Foreman. Of course. Longhorn running back. Year three. My gosh, that's amazing. Another year three guy. How about Julian Davenport? Drew Doherty catches up with both of these guys. Two minutes with a Texan. Our final segment will feature an assistant coach, among other things, John Pagano coaches outside linebackers. He's been around the block, been with the – I did say San Diego Chargers, but I'm allowed to because they were the San Diego Chargers. They were when he was there, yes. Yes. You're so okay. I'm good. You're I'm good. good to say that. In nice fact, job. The Chargers are going to come up in the conversation with John Pagano tonight. Yeah, so very cool. nice. You know, this was – I thought about uh, – of course, it's, it's all I really could think about this weekend. Um, what, what news came down on Friday and – and uh, trying to trying to kind of figure out what we were going to do on the show on Friday, and then mm-hmm. having to change things kind of midstream on Friday. But I, I thought about this. You you mentioned it during the show on Friday, Mark, and I, it, it took me driving home thinking about it, kind of internalizing it. What a what what a shocking situation that was. Yeah, because in the in the there have been three GMs. And Charlie Cassidy was let go. Rick uh, had a leave of absence. So Charlie was the only one that had been f- fired or released mm-hmm. at that point. So it only happened one other time in the organization's history. And I think maybe that was why Friday, I, I, when I thought about it, it, it was like, whoa. I mean, there were just so, there's so many aspects of it kind of flying oh, through my head. Oh, it's unique to this organization. But because it's so different. Well, somebody was saying... Uh, Look, I saw a lot of stuff on Twitter this weekend, and I can't react to all of it, and some of it from media members who really should know better. I mean, you're trying to build a case, build it accurately, and I get some of the criticism. Believe me, I understand. I understand. But you want to be accurate the way you paint the picture of things. But somebody said, oh, Cleveland South. Really? Really? Are you going there with me? I mean, the Browns have been back in the league since 99. Johnny, how many winning seasons for the Browns since 99? What is it, two? Two. Yeah, 2003 was the last time the Browns were in the playoffs. Yeah, that was Butch Davis, 9-7. That was before the Facebook. That was before the Facebook, before Sean Parker changed the name of the Facebook in an expensive New York restaurant. At least that's what I saw in the social network film, and that's what I'm sticking with. Yeah, it's got to be true. Romeo Cornell, though, did win 10 games with Cleveland in 2007. They missed the playoffs. It wasn't enough to get them in. Boy, that's that's one of those Mm. really – hurtful years when you win double digits and you still don't get in. Anyway, they've had two winning seasons, so don't get me started on that kind of thinking. And how many head coaches and quarterbacks? Look, I know the Texans have had a few quarterbacks. I get it. But the Texans have had three head coaches, three general managers. They're about to get their fourth GM. And you mentioned it. I mean, as far as people getting fired in those kinds of positions, you had Dom Capers, Gary Kubiak. You've had, you know, Rick's leave of absence, and you've had Charlie Casserly, which is about as nice a way as you can get dismissed as possible because it was after the 06 draft, 
And he worked with Gary Kubiak all throughout that offseason, putting together what really could be the best draft in Texans history so far, or certainly among them. We could debate that in another show. And I think that is not a bad place to start because we talk about timing of this, Johnny. And a lot of people say, well, it's weird timing. It's actually, look, there's no good timing for any kind of dismissal, removal of somebody from a position. But for a general manager, this time of year is probably about as good as it could get. Because it's before you get to training camp and before you get to that evaluation when you're making those cuts. And the coach obviously has that 53-man roster. But the GM wants to cycle through what else is going on around the league where you can pick up players, let go from other teams who might be able to help you. Where you have certain position groups that need fortification. They add some extra guys. You have some extra guys you're letting go. Whatever. Before all that happens. So this is not a bad time. You mentioned it on Friday. You have the Genevieve Clowney July 15th date with the franchise tag and everything. So, okay, whoever comes in here, let's hope it's soon, gets to work on that. But as far as overall timing, it's not the worst time in the world to do it if you're going to do it. I mentioned the, the timing, and I think I meant it more from a standpoint of just the unusual aspect of hearing your GM has been fired. I mean, yeah. I, I think that was – that was probably the hardest part. And then it was like, oh, wow. Everybody in this building on the football ops side is thinking about, we're going on vacation. Mm-hmm. We're getting a six-week break. And it's the only vacation that they get. It so really is. I know they've got to be thinking about that. And they're, they're prepping for that mini camp for two days. Uh, three days, excuse me. This week, uh, really two, but three. And they're prepping to get out of here for six weeks because it's really the only break they're going to get. And so – it's kind of the last bit of news. You it was the last thing on on the list of things that could have. Okay, what can go wrong in the summer? And like, what can go wrong in June and July? Like, what could happen? Okay, player gets arrested. Um, the suspension for the NFL. Like, what could go wrong? Somebody got hurt in the OTA that we didn't get to see. Those are all things that went. And this was just not one that I would have. I would have kept on the on the front burner. Anybody. You know, comparing this to Cleveland South, I mean, come on, man, that was that was ridiculous. They had GM after GM and coach after coach, year after year after year. I mean, it was a revolving door oh, this- until John Dorsey got in there. So that that's not even comparable. But you're right. If you think about the if if I'm a if I'm a GM, the only thing that I I, I don't want to say if I, I'm worried about, but the 90 man roster has been put together without my input. Mm-hmm. So. How much how obviously going to be a pretty big part of getting it down to fifty three right. than the ten man roster or I'm sorry the ten man practice squad roster right so it's going to be important in that, but you didn't get a chance to build that team now where you are not going to be behind the game is the draft process because if you walk in and you're like, "I want to make some changes with my personnel groups with my scouts with this, you're still going to send them out on time. Yep. You're still going to get them out in late July, early August. Yep. See the colleges? Yeah, you're still going to get them out there, your, your regional scouts, to get them out to places after you've made changes, if you're going to make changes to that particular department. So you're not really missing anything. If you do that in January, when, when, uh, when, when it happened this last time with Brian – you obviously have got to make some changes right away. You've tr- you got to try and bring in some scouts and get your personnel on board, but you're doing all that at the same time that you've got to get ready for the Senior Bowl, you've got to get ready for the Combine. Oh, there's a lot get- going on. That's a busy season So from a timing standpoint, it may not be a horrible time right. <laughs> at all. 
I mean, and no one, no it's one's saying it it's a great guard. time. We, didn't see it. we just didn't see it coming. All right, so that's a question. Uh, one of the other questions that we keep getting is, who has the power? Who will have the power? Who has the power? Well, I'm here to answer the question for you. Cal McNair. Thank you. That's what I was going to say. He's the chairman of the organization. He's got the power. He made the move. He made the statement. It's his team. And obviously, Janice McNair owns the team. He's the chairman. But it's the McNair family, and you get the gist here. Right. It's Cal McNair. And Cal has decided, after a thorough review of the organization, of the way things were happening, that they needed to make this change. And you got to respect that. And I think he's been getting a lot of props for that in some way. Mm-hmm. Not that people necessarily know what led to this, right. but I think people like moves. They do. They, no doubt. They like being aggressive. The Texans won 11 games last year. Looked pretty good. They won the division. Uh, I know a lot of people are speculating about they weren't aggressive enough. And this is proof. It's not proof. This is not proof that they don't like the way the player selection process has been going. You know, that could be a factor, but it's not proof because no one has said anything about it. So don't read. I mean, and I look, I, I don't blame certain people for speculating. And I think that's fair to speculate when you don't have all the information. Sure. But you got to be within the realm of of reason here when you're doing it. But it's crystal clear that it's Cal's team. He makes the move. And, yes, Bill O'Brien's the head coach of this team. But one thing this should show everyone is that after a year and a half on the job, Brian Gain got let go. Anything is possible. And that Cal McNair wants to win for the city of Houston, win a championship. It's all about winning a championship here. And there's been a lot of talk about Jack Easterby coming in, executive vice president of football development Look, this guy is really accomplished with the Patriots organization. He's done some other great things in his sports career. And he's part of the mix in football ops, if you will, with Bill O'Brien, with the way things are going. I don't know how that's all going to shake out. I really don't know about structural stuff, Johnny. But he didn't make the move. Cal McNair made the move. Bill O'Brien didn't make the move. He can't do that. Cal McNair makes this move, and he's going to set it up the way he sees fit. Yeah, that's when when you start to say power, then you you stop and end with the McNair family, Janice McNair, Cal McNair. Mm. That, that that just stop right there. The power. The other word that is interesting in this, if you want to look at it, mm-hmm. is influence. Who has influence? Now that can be a lot of different people. To, to be honest with you, uh, it could be you and I, to be honest with you, if we're influential. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know think that's the case. I don't think that's the case. Either. No. But, the, you know, who has influence? You bring up Jack Easterby. I read an article ESPN did on him maybe a year or two ago, and I read that Tom Brady had said, or I, I'd seen it somewhere, that Tom Brady said, we've won a lot of games with the Patriots. We won a lot of games before Jack got here, but Jack is a major reason why we were able to win this year. I think it was the, the, uh, the one they won here. Mm-hmm. I think it was that one when they were down 20, to Atlanta. Yeah, when they were down to Atlanta. I think it was. I think it was that year that he was talking about. But for Tom Brady to say Jack Easterby is a big reason why we won this championship. Well, that's if he's huge. a big reason. Then he is an asset. Mm-hmm. He is an asset to your organization. So at that point, if he is an asset and he's got the, the eyes, the mind, the voice, whatever it takes to help you win, then. I would imagine that you want to internalize what it is that he's bringing to your organization. So when you get the question of power, that one's easy. When you right. get the question of you know who's influential, it could be a lot of different people in the yeah. organization, to be honest with you. So from that perspective, we'll see how it shakes out. But I think you said it best. It was crystal clear. 
from the statement that Cal put out, who's in charge? Yeah. Who's in charge? Who's in power? As I put my fingers up in air quotes. All right, another one. Who will the GM be? These are questions we're getting from the fans. And when will it happen? Now, I don't know when, and I don't know who either. You've read the reports on candidates that are being interviewed. It's really interesting to me because I think you could set it up in a variety of ways. And it'll be interesting to see how they do it and how that's conveyed to the outside world. And I don't know if it'll be conveyed as a collective thing, if it'll be conveyed as this guy's on top of this guy on the hierarchy chart, whatever. To your point, Cal McNair's the the lead guy. He's the chairman. Everybody else is underneath him in some particular order. I don't know if that's going to come out or not. I don't know how they're going to do it. And I really don't know who it's going to be. I know I know the names that have been floated out there, but we won't know until we know. I mean, I hate to be that simplistic about it, but I think there's a lot of different possibilities in play, and well, we'll there, see. There are a lot of different nuances to it as well. Let's the, the the last time that the Texans were looking for a GM, apparently there was interest in a couple of guys with the New England Patriots. The Patriots said no, and they apparently could say no at that particular time because they were still in the playoffs. So there's a lot of different aspects that go yeah. into this. Just because you get the permission doesn't mean that they want to come. Just because they don't want to come doesn't mean that something's wrong. Maybe they just don't want to leave New England. Josh McDaniels made the decision not to leave New England, and apparently he was going to take Jack Easterby with him to New England or to uh, Indianapolis if he were to go. Wow, if he were isn't that go. incredible, though? So... And then, of course, he decided to stay with New England. Yeah, it worked out for Indianapolis. I think it worked out for Josh McDaniels. I think it worked. It worked out for everybody. But there, there are a lot of different, there are a lot of different factors to to bring into this. Other than we want that guy, he's going to say yes. It isn't that easy. Yeah, no, <laughs> it isn't it's not. that simple. And there are probably going to be some guys, some names that maybe you hear that, or maybe you don't even see until the what they're going to sign who. I've yeah. not heard of that guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a bad decision. Oh, just because we haven't been talking about him in the media? Maybe there's somebody that we don't even know at this point. All right, I've got one more for you. Why did this happen? And I will attempt to do my best to answer that in the context of this program. Also, Deontay Foreman, two minutes with a Texan. Drew Doherty catches up with him. John Pagano, Julian Davenport, all on Texans All Access tonight. Getting you inside the building, NRG Stadium, Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you on Texans All Access. Great to have you along well, before we get to Deontay Foreman, two minutes with a Texan with Drew Doherty. A little bit more on the search for a general manager on what went down on Friday. And we were going over questions that have been thrown to us by fans over the weekend. Some amalgam questions because I've gotten a ton and very similar questions from different people. Like everywhere I go this weekend, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. of course, that's going to come up. Uh, so what did happen? Now, I don't want to just pick it apart forensically i'd love to be able to do it you know i'd love to be able to just lay it out there for everybody because i don't really work with these guys in that capacity on a daily basis you know we do what we do we create football content we have fun with the fans we cover this team we do all that stuff i'm not calling plays drafting players evaluating player performances coaches performances i don't do all that okay i do all that in a media sense but not in that end of the building but I'll tell you this, you know, it, it, I, it's a fair question. So Brian Gaines gets hired in January of 2018, and by June of 2019, it's not working out, and they relieve him of his duties. 
I can say this. Not all marriages last. Some end in divorce. Sometimes you work together and it doesn't work out and it's unfortunate and nobody likes it. It's not ideal. No one's saying, oh, this is such a great day for No, everyone understands that it was a seismic move. But like I said on Friday, clearly Cal McNair thought that there was a level of performance at that position that they were not achieving and they're ready to go to another level, and they want to get there, and they feel like there are people out there to help them do that. That's it. That's it. That they can bring in somebody else to be part of the mix here, and they're going to do a lot better. That's how they feel, and I think it's crystal clear. I think that's pretty transparent by a statement, and it's all about winning a championship. So sometimes it just doesn't work out, and you don't know until you get in the foxhole together. That's just it. You're exactly right. That is exactly right. My office mate. Anov, she's tremendous. Mm-hmm. She does a great job. Wait, are you having problems with Anov? No, no, no. Okay, I, I love Anov, but but Anov just got married. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I I think about that. You, you said the are word gonna, marriage. Are you going to tell everybody what I asked her in the staff meeting no, this no, no, morning? No, no. no I okay. will not tell. I will not tell anybody <laughs> that. No, the reason I bring it up is I mm-hmm. I just think about what you said when you when you get married, you you feel like especially if you've been dating for a while, you feel like you know the idiosyncrasies of each person, and you can deal with this, is how we're going to do this together. There's a commitment to one another, etc. But there are times that even those marriages that look like on the surface when you go to the wedding and you're like, oh, yeah, this is, this is going to work. And then you find out, whoa, that did not work. I, I had a buddy of mine, my one of my best friends in the world. I, I was in his wedding, and I, I'll never forget going to the wedding. Oh, and it was no. a great wedding. It was a great wedding. The marriage lasted eight months. Oh. It la- it lasted eight months, and then when I when I talked to him afterwards, I said, "Man, what happened?" He goes, "He goes, John. When we were sending out the invitations to the wedding, we knew it was wrong." And oh, I was gosh. like, "But you went through it anyways." And he yeah. goes, "I know." So when you know, make the move. Right. And that to me is what what happened here. Yeah, they knew. They, they knew, knew at this point it wasn't working. Right. right. And it and it doesn't mean Brian's a bad guy or anything. It right. just means it wasn't working out and they, again, they had to find a better way to perform in the general manager position for them. Yeah. All right. And maybe it all works out for him somewhere else and I hope it does. But that's why these things happen. And you know, maybe there are other reasons that contribute, but I think it's pretty much as simple as that. It was not working out. And they had to make a move, and they're going in another direction. All right. A guy who I hope to see going forward, maybe a little east-west, but the direction of forward toward the end zone an awful lot this year with great efficiency is Deontay Foreman. He's entering year three already. Gosh, that sounds like a lot, but he really hasn't played a whole lot. So let's hear from him as Drew Doherty caught up with Deontay Foreman and asked him about how he's doing and how he's getting ready for 2019. What's the biggest difference between now versus a year ago? Right now, man, I'm able to move. I'm fluent. I feel good. My mindset is, is really good right now. You know, a year ago, I was I just didn't know what I would be like coming back. I didn't know if I would ever be the same. Just had a lot of stuff going through my mind, rehabbing and stuff. So right now, I'm just in a good spirit, man. I'm looking forward to the season. Yeah, I bet. And we've seen the videos of you working out with Hopkins and with Roby in the sand and the pool and all that, and some other guys too. What's that been like? Because that's a different way to work out, I imagine, right? 
Oh, yeah, man, it was great. You know, we just really came up with a plan. You know, we just kind of stuck to it, man, and he was great. You know, just having Hop and, you know, those guys around me, you know, while working out, man, just really pushed me and just seeing how those guys were working just took me to a different level, man, so it was great. You talked about how positive your mindset is and how that's different. What about football-wise? What was the one thing you needed to work on? Just make sure you're in shape, come back ready to go, ready to compete. That was the biggest thing, just being one of those guys to come in and be in shape and just try to have a great offseason. I remember seeing you at the Combine a couple years back, and people asked about you catching the ball out of the backfield, and they acted like that was some sort of alien thing. And you come into the league, you catch touchdowns. Some of your best plays have been catches. Your best play last year was a touchdown catch. How much pride do you take in that, that you are able to be a threat in the receiving game? I take a lot of pride in it, I guess, but um, at the end of the day, I always knew what my ability was catching the ball, so that was nothing that I ever worried about. It was just something that people didn't see when I came out of you know Texas, so it was just something that I had to prove once I got here, but I knew I would do it, I and mean, now I feel like I got my coaches and everybody feel like you know I'm a guy that can catch the ball and that can rely on me in a passing game, so I just got to continue to show it. How much influence has your twin brother been during this rehab from injury, during this comeback from injury? He's probably been the biggest. You know, him pushing me, you know, he's always pushed me, even when we were kids, you know, just up until this point, he's always pushed me to be better. I'm always competed with him, honestly. Um, you know, I had a lot of guys on my team, but he was the guy that I competed with because I knew that his game was going to be high, and as long as I could keep my game above his, and I feel like it would help the team. So, you know, even with him not being here by my side at this point, it's just one of those things that I want to continue to make him proud, continue to compete with things that we talked about even before I even got to this point. So now it's just a matter of time, just laying it all out on the field and just being productive. You talk about those competitions, how fierce were they? And I imagine they weren't just limited to football, right? Oh, no. No, definitely, man. They they vary from all different type of things to sitting in the front seat to, to eating the last piece of food, anything. On a video game, it just didn't matter what it was. We just always wanted to be number one. We always wanted to be the best. Having somebody that you're with day in and day out and somebody that's just as competitive as you, it's like it's nonstop, and it's, it's still like that to this day. How often do y'all talk? Every day. Yeah, I see my brother pretty much every day. You know, so, yeah, we talk all the time, man, and uh, I'm still his biggest supporter. He's still my biggest supporter, and, uh, you know, we still push each other. So what's next for you? Go in and have a great OTA, you know, have, have great practice, continue to put them together, and then, uh, you know, once we get our little break, just, you know, just build, keep building. I mean, my break won't really be much of a break. I might take a trip here, but honestly, I'll just be focused and locked in. You know, I, I feel like I got a lot to prove, a lot to come back from. Um, a lot of people are looking for me to come in and pick up kind of where I left off, you know, as a rookie. So I just got to come in and, and be locked in. That's really my focus. What can this offense do at full strength next year, you think? I, mean, I think we can do a lot it's with everybody staying healthy. I think that's really the big thing, just everybody staying healthy. You know, my two years being here, we haven't had a healthy roster. So at this point, we just got to continue to try to stay healthy. And I think everything else as far as football will take care of itself. There's Deontay Foreman with Drew Doherty. Two minutes with a Texan, and you'll be hearing a lot of that as we get toward and into training camp. In fact, in the next segment, Julio Davenport, Drew catches up with the left tackle, or will he play right tackle, or will he play something else? Who knows? They've been doing a lot of mixing and matching on that offensive yep. line, but Davenport manned the left tackle position for the bulk of 2018, and clearly he's got some company in that group with Matt Khalil, with the drafting of Titus Howard, but who knows how these guys all work out and work in as they head for training camp in late July. But Julio Davenport, year three, Johnny, we saw some great things in year one. I mean, maybe great is an overstatement, but some really positive things. Last couple of games. Great flashes. Yeah. Uh, Last year, the Philly touchdown reception where he just kind of found himself open. You know what I liked about that play is 
he instinctively headed for the end zone yeah. when Watson was rolling out like, hey, let me try to make myself useful over here, make a play. Yeah. And they did that a couple of times in the New England game in 2017, week three. So let's just see more here. You know, he ran the ball so well for a stretch yep. uh, 2017. You want to get back to that because he really couldn't do much of that last year. So it's all about health and progress for him. We were talking about OTA uh, observations the other day, you know, some of the things that, that we see. And keep in mind, you know, training camp is not here yet, so I did not write any OTA observations. But training camp is around the corner, mm-hmm. so there will be plenty of writing then. But one that I had the other day was the way they were running a drill – that was on the other side of the 50. And so we were on the other side of the 50. They were on the other side of the 50. And so they ran a pl- – so it was a team drill. And so Bill O'Brien has said how many times, like, this is a passing camp, it's a passing camp, it's yeah. a passing camp. So what do you do? You sneak a run in there. And yeah. so they did that a couple times. Ironically, both times were the foreman. But they ran – I don't know if it was just the inside zone or running zone play, but I couldn't tell who was that running back. I was kind of shielded by the players because they were – Kind of defensive players were standing on one side of the offense and the other side. I couldn't really see. But I knew it was a run play. I could see that. And then I saw this helmet just shoot through. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa. That guy got through quick. Who is that? I'm thinking it's one of the rookies. I'm thinking it's maybe it's Lamar. But I'm like, man, yeah. who is And all of a sudden, he got through the hole and then turned up the field and I could see 2-7. I went, whoa. That's Deontay? So he's moving well. I was like, wow. Yeah. That, was the, that was the fastest I had seen him go through a hole. Now, the other side of it is, okay, you know nobody's going to hit you when you get on that right. side of the hole. But Deontay's never been scared. I mean, he's 230 yeah. pounds, and he runs he runs, uh, he runs, runs through with good pad level, and he's ready to run through somebody if he has to. So he's not scared of that. But just to see that quickness and that burst. It's encouraging. was very encouraging. Got to keep it going. I have another question for you about running backs coming up. A little bit more on the general manager situation. John Pagano joining us also. Outside linebackers coach and Julio Davenport. Busy final segment on Texans All Access coming your way next. Keeping your company as we start the week here. Texans All Access. Tomorrow we'll have a mini camp show as they'll be out at the Houston Methodist Training Center doing their thing. I don't think it's going to be much of a mini camp this week as far as heavy duty. You know, back in the day, mini camp, Johnny, had pads okay this is a padded deal this is serious how long stuff. ago was that i it definitely pre-2011 cba i think yeah. even maybe 10 years before that i might be wow. wrong about that but they used to put pads on for minicamp this is a big deal mm-hmm. now i don't want to say it's not a big deal but i think it's more of a winding down session of all the ota yeah. work this is the ninth week of the nine week offseason program started april 15th yeah. we Sort of celebrated that day. They're back. Let's get to it. Yep. They were doing just strength and conditioning the first few weeks, but then got out there for the OTAs. It's the fourth week of OTA stuff. That's the mini camp. So uh, I think they feel good about the work they've been doing. And the one thing you really want to avoid is sending people home with injuries. You want to send them off with some encouragement, with a little momentum going into the desert. That's what I call the break between mini camp and training camp. And get them ready to go for training camp. Here we have it. All right. We promise this. Julian Davenport, this is two minutes with a Texan. Drew Doherty caught up with the left tackle and asked him how he's getting ready for the season. What is his temperature as he embarks on the 2019 campaign? Very excited. Got a lot of things to prove and got a lot of work to put in. Uh, you know, just prove the haters wrong. I got to go out there and show them I can ball, show them I belong here, show them where I want to be. How much of that is motivation? You talk about the haters. How much 
Is that motivation? How much are other things motivation? Definitely motivation in itself. You know, you don't ever want people to think any bad of you or any less than what you want people to think of yourself. Got a lot of work to do, and I'm ready to do it. How good can this offense be? Very good. We're doing some good things right now to put in the makings of what can be a really good offense. And, you know, we're, we're excited for the year. We just got to make sure we handle business and be real disciplined in every little thing that we take care of. What's been the most eye-opening thing for you since you got here a couple years back? Just being here from where I'm at. Wasn't supposed to be here. College I went to, you know, it was a rarity. But, you know, I handled business and did what I could to, you know, make this dream come true. And now that I'm here, you know, i got to show that I belong and I want to stay here for a real long time. How much, whether it's a lot, whether it's a little, something in between, but how much of Bucknell and everybody there and everything you went through there do you take with you on a, on a daily basis around here? Definitely take a lot. Being a smaller school, obviously we had to work a little harder. It wasn't on, like, TV screen and stuff. So that's what this media stuff is kind of new to me. Uh, I'm not real used to it at the moment, even though I've had a little bit here and there. But the work we put in, you know, practices and stuff, uh, things that even my O-line co- coach taught me in uh, college, you know, I make sure I bring that with me, you know, use that to help me develop. you kind of feel a little kinship? I know it's a smaller school than Bucknell, but do you sort of feel a kinship with Vincent Smith in that regard because he's from Limestone? And- oh, yeah, no doubt. You know, he, he made it from a D2 school. You know, a lot of people don't know Bucknell is D1AA, but it is. Him coming from a D2 school is big time. I've never heard of the school before, just like many have never heard of Bucknell. So he definitely has the same, you know, feelings that I got going along with him. Drew Doherty with Julian Davenport, two minutes with a text in, and a couple of things before we get back to some more GM talk, and there's really not a whole lot to say tonight, but wanted to mention this about Davenport. I think it's worth mentioning again, Johnny, and maybe people don't want to hear it, but I always believe in the capacity to improve, the capacity to get better. How many times do we have to see examples of this in this league before we realize, hey, that's possible that people who practice their craft, who have athletic talent and keep working on it, can improve? Really? What a revelation. Well, Davenport is trying to do just that. You know, we talk about year one to year two. This is year three for Davenport, but year one he was that sixth man on the offensive line and stuff. Last year started the bulk of the season at left tackle. This is a real opportunity for him right here to say, you know what, all the talk about tackle, I got this. And I'm eager to see what he does in training camp, and maybe we won't know right away, but want to see his progress, and I think everybody wants to give him the chance to improve. What I thought was interesting last year at training camp in 2018 as I'm sitting there watching training camp, Mark, I, I keep looking over at Kendall Lamb, mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, and I even told you this a couple of times. I'm like, Mark, Kendall Lamb is doing really well at training camp. and That was last year. It was last year. Yeah. There was so much vitriol thrown his way after 2017. Yeah. You had that really tough start at left tackle against Yannick and Gakwe and the, the Jets. He the team. Yeah, it was tough. And I just remember I would see him in the locker room, and I knew, I knew how much that – that ate at him, that his opportunity to start did not go well, and he wasn't able to lock in that spot. And then he wasn't able to get on the field at all. And it was, it was tough. But as I'm watching, and I just listened and I saw what things were said, and Kendall sort of became a joke to a lot of people out there. But in that training camp, Kendall was really good. And I was like, man, this is really – the fans won't like hearing this because once you get fixated on – this guy can't play. Once you get fixated on that. People don't like to be wrong. Right. 
They don't want they don't want to be wrong. And I'm like, boy, Kendall's playing really well. He finally got an opportunity to get in that. They put him in the lineup. I think it was against the Colts. And look, Kendall gave up some sacks. Kendall didn't wasn't perfect. His PFF number was not off the charts. But Kendall played some pretty solid football for this team at right tackle. Now he was limited in some of the things that he could do, but. I'll never forget when Kendall got hurt in the Denver game. He was out for one play, and Kendall was banged up. He, I mean, it was, it was tough for him to get off the field. I thought he was done for the day. He went back out there the next series because what happened, the play he was out, Von Miller got his only sack of the day. Mm. The only sack was when Kendall Lamb went to the bench. And I remember going on Twitter – after the game, kind of going back through tweets, it's you know three, four hours of tweets that I haven't seen. And I was seeing people saying, who'd have thunk it that when Kendall Lamb went out of the game that we would be panicking as to what was going to happen next? My point in that is things can change. They can change rather abruptly. People, I think, in 2015 looked at A.J. Boye and were like, eh, look, you got Kevin Johnson, you got Jonathan Joseph, you got Kareem Jackson. What's A.J.? A.J.'s not doing anything. That offseason – He's like, I'm going to show you. That OTAs, I'll never forget, he's going against Hopkins, and he's staying with him one-on-one. Then he puts together a tremendous 2016 season, and it led to him getting a huge contract contract with Jacksonville as one of the top corners in the league. Things can change. You put your mind to it. You put the work to it. You're talented. And that was – I remember talking to AJ about this. He's like, you know, I just – I had to get my mind right. I had to block everything else out. I had to focus on what I had to do. Quit listening to noise, and I just did what I was coached to do, and that's what happened. And look, I, I'm I'm sure Julian is probably doing the same thing. I've got to tune out the noise. I got to listen to my coaching staff. I got to do what I am best at doing and do it well to have an opportunity to play on this team. Things can change. Players can change. Players can get better. And the flip side of that's also true. Just because a guy had a great rookie year doesn't mean he's going to be great his entire career. Right. And. Like we said, the flip side is true. Just because a guy struggled early on doesn't mean he can't get better. I know people in this town that just won't uh, think about Genevieve Clowney. I won't even give him any credit for what he's done because the first two years he was hurt, banged up, and playing through They made it. up their minds about him, and done. it's hard to change it. It's a yes. great point. And, you can't and I, change your mind. I think that was my point on Davenport, that a lot of people have figured, nah, it's not going to work. Well, let's just see. Let's give it a minute here. Right. And obviously they have other options and, and many different possibilities on that offensive line collectively. All right, John Pagano, coaches outside linebackers for this team, senior defensive assistant, formerly with the then San Diego Chargers. We caught up with him here in the Hyundai Texans radio studio. I wanted to ask him about that break between minicamp and training camp and what he does because I find this interesting that the coaches, this is their only real break of the year. I don't think you really unplug from it. I think the the day-to-day stuff that you've been doing in the off-season, but you, you never unplug. You're always thinking about certain things that you want to do during training camp, uh, ideas that, that, that you have uh, to get your unit, you know, with the outside linebackers, uh, be able to do different things, always thinking of different types of drills uh, that we can um, – uh, get used to doing it, and it's that daily routine. But you really, you never really get away from it. You're always thinking about it. You're thinking about your teaching progression, from how you want to introduce things, from the install. You're always working on those little things, and then you, you know, you find time uh, for your family. Coach, you've been around a game, as Mark said, for a while. You've been to different places, but now you're going into your second year here with the Texans. 
How does that feel comfortability-wise for you? you know, your first year, you're still trying to figure out where everything is, where you're going to live, where yeah, your kids are going to go to school, all that. How is it the second year? Oh, it's, it's, it's like you've been here for a while. Yeah. You know, you get in. I, I think the biggest thing is, is getting into a routine, what time you're waking up, what time you're getting here to the office, your daily routine, how you're setting up your meetings, certain things like that, where you're heading for. You know, last year when you come in new, you're, you're, where's this, where are we going now, what yeah. is this, and you know, you get accustomed to the schedule that you have to, you know, get into that daily grind. And that's what we try to do with our players to get them, um, get them used to doing those, that same routine. And it's, it's like when we get out there an individual, you want those same types of movement, those same types of skills. So they're, they're learning exactly what I want even more from last year to be able to do the things that we do out on the field. John Pagano with us coaching outside linebackers. I always think of this as front seven. You have all these guys who operate in the front seven, and there's right. a lot of different movement going on. Correct. So how do you guys put that together collectively as coaches? Well, you know, everybody has that, you know, from the D-line to the inside linebackers, outside linebackers in, in that front seven. But the scheme is, all, you know, all built based upon, uh, you know, how Romeo sets the defense up. And then you, you take what he says and, and you put those, you know, moving parts together. And it's, it's very multiple uh, you know, in our front seven to where you, you need guys that have the ability to uh, drop into coverage and, and be able to rush the passer. So it, it's been good from this standpoint, even going into my second year of, uh, of truly uh, really understanding the defense and then, you know, just keep building off that from what we did last year. Coach, obviously you have some veterans, but then you get some young guys that come in, whether they're rookies or they've, they've been around the league for a little bit and they come here. What's the most difficult habit to break for young players coming from college or coming from somewhere else that you have to try and teach them technique? What's the toughest habit for them to break? Um, getting down to the basics. You know, I'm a big, uh, firm believer defensively of techniques, fundamentals, and effort. Effort's something that, that they can control by me, you know, making sure that they understand what type of effort we need. But the techniques and the fundamentals, and it, it starts with basic stance, and it starts with basic footwork. And it's those fundamentals and, and doing those drills every day to where they get accustomed how they need to step. It, the game is, it, is uh, it's such a game of angles. And it's always taking that proper angle and just one little bad step. So I, I think coming into the league for younger players, it's always basically those, those attention to detail technique assignments of basic fundamentals of your footwork. And I think that's something that uh, – you know, you got to work at every day, and they're getting better at that. John Pagano with us on Texans Radio. Allow me to reminisce a little bit. Sure. You were on the Colts staff that had Peyton Manning when he was a rookie, yeah. right? So what was that like being on Jim Morris' staff then and seeing Manning going through what he was going through? I know you were a defensive assistant at the Correct. time, but you were there, obviously. Correct. Uh, it just see the growth. Just you could, from how he was day one, how he approached it uh, through you know, through Coach Moore, the offensive coordinator, to mm-hmm. Bruce Arians being the quarterback's coach, uh, to see the growth that he had and and just his work ethic. I mean, I remember being there late some nights, and all of a sudden here he is walking down the hall. He just got done with his film preparation, you know, of his of his rookie year, and um, just, just seeing that growth and and just how how, how smart, unbelievably smart he was, and, and just learning. Uh, you know, seeing the things and seeing the different things he did at practice, it was it was it was good, and it was always you know the the being in the AFC, having the opportunity to uh, 
you know, play those teams. You just saw them get better and better each and every time. Coach, your group, outside linebackers, it can be a diverse group depending on fronts, coverages, all that different kind of stuff. But for you, what do you like about that group and what's the one thing that you want to see them get uh, better at every day? Well, I just setting our daily goals, techniques, fundamentals, and effort. And, that, and that's something that we got to improve on every day. And, and we go out there and we, we like to choose one or two things that we're going to get better at. And as we're walking off the field, we have an understanding that did we improve on that today or did we not? Do we need to keep working on those certain things? And I think, you know, the basic fundamentals of football can, whether it's my stance, whether it's, you know, my get off today and my false step and do I have the proper leverage? Do I have the proper, you know, footwork? And I think the biggest thing coming away is, is being able to set that edge. I think uh, the guys, um, you know, really take it uh, a pride and a passion on being edge setters, and that's something that we have to do. We can't let the ball outside of us. Coach, we appreciate the time. Good luck. All right, thank you. There's John Pagano, outside linebackers coach for your Houston Texans. All right, about a minute left in the show, and obviously we opened up with that first segment answering your questions about the general manager's search, and we don't know. We're all waiting to find out together. Cal McNair made the move on Friday. He's got the power. He's got the team, and he's going to make the best decision for this organization to move forward and get to a higher level, as well as they've done. And I'm a big proponent of winning divisional titles and making it to the postseason, and they're among the league leaders in this category over the last four years and really over the last ten years when you look at top ten in winning seasons, division titles, playoff appearances. They're top ten in the league over the last ten years. And here's the other thing, and we can get into this tomorrow a little bit, I mean, they're dealing with the Golden State Warriors in the AFC, basically, when you look at the Patriots. Yeah. And since Bill O'Brien's been the head coach here, you've had Denver and the Patriots going to the Super Bowl for the AFC. I mean, it's just been really rough to get there, right? Yeah. that's. Am I leaving anybody out? No. <laughs> no. All right, no. so there it is. It's, I mean, it's been Broncos and it's been Patriots. But it's, you know, that's not an excuse. you got to get to that level, and that's what they're trying to do here, and that's uh, one of the big reasons why Cal has decided to make that move and – they're going to come up with the best way to get somebody in here and make the best decision possible for the franchise. Many can't practice tomorrow. There will be plenty of talk about this and other stuff. Bill O'Brien at the podium, players too, so we'll get to it all tomorrow. Have a great night, everyone, and go Texans.